Oftentimes, we love discussing the Oscars and saying, what's the greatest miscarriage of justice? People love saying, all right, what should have won Best Picture that did? You know, Ordinary People of a Raging Bull, Dances with Wolves of a Goodfellas, Pulp Fiction Losing a Forest Gump. Oh, my goodness. Warren Beatty apparently read the wrong name. This is incredible. Moonlight won Best Picture. Cinephile. What do you say to those critics who say, listen, Jerry Bruckheimer's movies make a ton of money, but they lack the substance and quality of classic cinema? No, I make movies for audiences, for popular culture. Same person who likes my dinner with Andre is not going to like Pirates of the Caribbean. They're thrilled to have Jeremy Renner with us. Is there any kind of friendly competitiveness on set with you guys? Cinephile. I think yeah, there's just more suit uh, and The great and lovely and talented Jessica Alba is here with us in studio. Thanks so much for coming by. Thanks for having me. The great Richard Lewis is joining us. At what point did you find that voice? Did you realize you could channel all this pain into humor? It'd be the Prince of Pain. I was about five hours old, and I was being put down by my family. Cinephile. Does Adnan Virk look like the undercover CIA agent who saves James Bond by killing a crime boss's henchman, smiles wide, extends his hand, and says to 007, Welcome to Tangier. <laughs> Cinephile, the Adnan Virk movie podcast. Off the gurney, and I'm back. Thanks to the fine people at the walking clinic in Utah. Oh, yeah. I'm hopped up on meds today, so I feel really good. If you like lidocaine, amoxicillin, and whatever steroids I'm on, I think it's called President. I don't even know. It's Cinephile. There's no reviews this time. We're talking about the Oscar nominations. Thanks so much to having uh, us listen to. Well, that makes any sense either. So go to iTunes right now. I forgot to say this last time, but as always, uh, give us a review. So please, I rank my movies out of four people leaves, do it out of five stars, and then write a review. I've noticed since I've asked for this, there's been plenty more. So thank you for all those who've done those. Duke Lines wrote one. There's a couple that, the, the two that were really funny, they gave us four stars and still made fun of me for the Age of Innocence review. So I'm like, all right, no problem. We didn't like your Age of Innocence snootiness, but love the podcast. Great. Keep it coming. I appreciate the feedback. So thank you for doing that. And subscribe and unsubscribe and resubscribe. As my brother said, does that actually work? I don't know, but keep doing it. And I keep writing those reviews because I love seeing it. I'm back from Sundance, Park City, Utah. What a fun adventure it was. Thanks so much to Ben Lines for making it happen. And thanks to Rob Sevenelli, who is um, the head of our talent office here. It's unbelievable that these people let me do this. Uh, people have been asking, they, they sent you to Sundance. That would be misleading. Basically, the company said, we will, we will take care of your expenses. I had to use vacation days to go to Sundance. So I had to take time off from my college basketball duties to go. So I wouldn't say ESPN sent me, but I got my flight taken care of. Middle seat, southwest of Utah, pretty good living. And then I stayed in a bunk bed, bottom bunk, with Ben Lyons and friends. So this is how it works. Thursday night I fly there. I'm kidding with the middle seat. I did, I did have an aisle seat. It was southwest. All right. Went to Denver first, then Park City, Utah. Never been to Utah before. Salt Lake City. Met Ben, his beautiful wife, Mariah, and his friend Horowitz, who works with MTV. 30-minute drive up to Park City, Utah. For those Canadian listeners, reminds you of Calgary, you know, Banff, Whistler for Americans, probably like Aspen, Colorado, places like that, right? Snowy, it's wintry. Go ahead, Danny. You know, already a sarcastic comment. No, no, go ahead. Maybe, maybe like Syracuse, maybe like Ohio. <laughs> Keep going. Okay. So we get there uh, around midnight. I'd been battling a sore throat all week. Proof that Dan is Nostradamus. Before we taped the Errol Morris podcast, he said to me, you sound sick. And I said, yeah, my wife, Eamon said that too. He goes, well, who knows you better than me and your wife? I said, it's true. And a couple of days later, I had a sore throat and I had been taking self-medicating. Couple of Advil in the morning, six hours later, a couple more Advil, a couple more hours later, six Advil. All right. So six Advil days maximum. All right. That's fine. And then got to squeeze in some Dayquil because that's acetaminophen and it is pretty painful. I can't really swallow much. 
So I, my theory on this is you're supposed to wait three days to go to the doctor. I'm like, well, I'll just get it seven days. It must be a cold. Even though I don't have a runny nose, I don't have a cough, but it's just it's really painful. Day six is a trip to Sundance. All right, well, let's just get through Sundance, and if it's still sick, we'll go to the doctor. So Thursday night when I got there, I already wasn't feeling good. I knew I was in trouble. I said, let's just get through three days. We just Monday, 5.40 a.m., just get the hell out of here and go right to the doctor and get back to Connecticut. I felt worse when we walked in in this condo which you've rented, and Lyon said, that's your room. And it literally is an 8 by 11 prison cell and the aforementioned bunk bed. And so his buddy, who I've not met, Adam Dreesen, who's great, he works with um, Matt Reeves, Planet of the Apes movies. And she goes, I hope you don't mind. I, I took the top bunk because I'm kind of claustrophobic. And I said, oh, no problem. Wait, wait, what did you just say? Because I'm actually claustrophobic. He goes, oh, yeah, you got the bottom bunk. And I go there. It's like sleeping in an MRI machine. I'm not kidding. It's like four feet in front of you. But I felt pretty lousy, and I took some NyQuil, and I said, well, let's just let's just give this a shot. And, and like Tom Hanks and Big, I did not say I get to be on top. So we sleep the hours. You get up Thursday morning. And, and next week, by the way, instead of file, we're going to do reviews of the movies. So I saw a movie called Hearts Beat Loud with Nick Offerman. Just like if we lived in the West Coast, boys, we'd get up to watch football. It'd be great because you'd be like, hey, 10 a.m. NFL games. It's pretty awesome when you can wake up and go, 9 a.m. movie. Let's do this. And it's exactly what, what Bennett said to me. You're expecting plush multiplexes? It's like a library. It's like, you know, it's like when Dan was at Fairfield. You just go into like a screening room. They just pull down the projector. There's 100 people to watch a movie. Milk Duds? No, no. There's no concessions here. You just you go in, you watch a movie, that's it. Hearts Beat Loud, Nick Offerman. I'll give the full review, but I liked it. Then I went and saw a movie at 12. Emails all the time. Publicist. Oh, you're with the ESPN? Are you aware of a movie called Monsters and Men? It's directed by a college baseball player. We have a ticket waiting for you at noon. Why not? How do you get around? Free bus service. So I actually felt like I was back in college because I was like, I used to always take the bus in college and it's free and it takes you everywhere you need to go. There's about five or six theaters. It's Park City, Utah. It's wintry. It was about 40. It wasn't snowing that day. So you just hop on a bus, go to the next place. And I couldn't eat because my throat was killing me. So that's fine. So I went and saw Monsters and Men. Let's go see another movie. Okay, we see three movies. And then I saw The Game Changers, which I, I cannot wait to tell you about. As a guy who loves a good steak, this movie may have changed my life. It talks about plant-based protein versus meat-based protein. It's Luis Sahoyos, who's the director who did The Cove, and it stars James Wilkes as an MMA fighter. They've got a couple of the Dolphins receivers in the movie. Um, they make fun of Conor McGregor a lot. Arnold Schwarzenegger's in there. I, I'll tell you all about it next week. So then Thursday night, we went and tried to get Paul Rudd. We got Paul Rudd. He's great. You'll listen to Paul Rudd coming soon to Cinephile. Giamatti, very disappointing. They come out, and it's just like in my days as a reporter. It's like covering athletes. They play the game, they shower, they come out. So the cat, the spy, the catcher was a spy, which is the Moberg movie. Read the book. Right? Um, unbelievable story. Yeah. The so, CIA stuff, much more interesting than the baseball stuff. He's like a 200 hitter. Who cares? <laughs> so they come out, um, and the PR said, who do you want to talk to? And I said, well, I, I recognize the name Rodot. Robert Rodot is a screener who wrote Stephen Private Ryan. So I said, if he's here, I'm, yeah. Director Ben Lewin, don't always work. Obviously, Rod Giamatti. Okay, if you want to talk to everybody, sure, all right. So they come out, director, okay, Ben and I, and Lyons is great because he knows how to do it. You, you got your, it's just like, a, like with the media scrum. You're in there, but if you don't want the guy, just back up for a second. But then you might get boxed out, so get back in there again because all of a sudden MTV's coming in and Access Hollywood's going to bump you out of there. So I'm like, all right, so hang in there. So he said him and Kevin Frazier once boxed each other out memorably at like the Oscars or something. So Giamatti comes out. I'm like, yes, shorter than me, and I'm 5'7", paler than I thought, but Giamatti. I'm like, yes. He just comes out, normal guy. Rod comes out. Rod, better looking guy than I thought. I was like, man, he's good. Same height as me. Good hair, messed up a little bit. Like, all right. So him and Giamatti talking, smiling, all right, take some pictures. And Giamatti just bounces like the whole, didn't even look at us. Like all the press, like, oh, Mr. Giamatti. And then Ben knew he goes, I know, that one hurts. 
I won't say any more about Paul Rudd, but he's great. You're going to hear the full interview. He's a big Royals fan. That's all I'll say. So Friday morning now, I'm really struggling. Okay, so that night, Ben and his friends were going to go out for dinner, and I said, I have no chance. I'm going to go home, take some more meds, fight through this thing. So Friday morning, I saw the movie that I love the most, which is the Robin Williams documentary. You're all going to see it. It's coming soon on HBO. I love Robin Williams, and the documentary is outstanding. And what I will say to you all, because you're so I'm going to see it anyways on HBO. Yeah, but I get to see it, and I'm so grateful in a crowded theater of people who love Robin Williams. So like 500 people all laughing at these jokes. Think about it as a documentarian. You're going to tell the story of Robin Williams. you got 40 years of clips, and you're going to tell us in 100 minutes. You know how hard that is to go? Mork and Mindy in four minutes. Good Morning Vietnam in one minute. They don't even mention Insomnia, which is a movie I love. Okay, one hour photo in a minute. They don't show the Goodwill Hunting Oscar-winning speech because they show another speech which is even better, which is when he lost at the Critics' Choice Awards to Daniel Day-Lewis for Bill the Butcher, uh, Gangster New York, and to um, Jack Nicholson for About Schmidt. And Nicholson said, Robin, you come up here and do me, do my speech. And it's unbelievable how Robin took a moment where he lost and made it the funniest moment of the night because he starts impersonating Jack and says starts making fun of the Critics' Choice Awards and makes fun of himself and all the rest of it. So it was great. But at this point, I'm, I'm really hurting. I'm ready to cut my throat off. And I said, all I care about is Nicolas Cage. So Nick Cage was next, and the guy had said to me, yep, you're in the list. I cannot wait for the Nick Cage story. You're going to hear that coming soon to Cinephile. And then after that, I relented. I said, I've got to get to the doctor. So I show up there. I'm, I'm miserable, and I said to the doctor, this is Saturday afternoon. I said, I'm just going to be okay for the Eagles game tomorrow. I said, I've got my interviews. I've seen like five movies. That's enough. Lions can do the rest of this stuff. Turned out I had an abscess around my tonsils. When he literally opened my throat, he goes, oh, that looks painful. That's what you want to have a doctor say. He goes, man. He goes, what? What have you been doing? I said, well, for, he goes, how long has this been happening? Eight days. He goes, all right, you probably had tonsillitis the whole time because you didn't treat it. Now this has developed into a massive abscess. And he said, what have you eaten? And I said, I ate a banana today. He goes, what did you eat yesterday? I go, I ate a banana and an apple and I'd love to eat and I can't do anything. And he goes, how are you swallowing? I go, not well. Like when I'm talking to Nick Cage, I think he could tell that something was wrong with me. Like I was talking so silly, I, I can't swallow my spit. And he's like, what's wrong with this guy? But I said, every time I swallow, I have to wince like it's fire. He goes, okay, got it. Let's get the drugs going. I take your pants off. Excuse me? I'm going to give you a shot. I'm like, what? He's like, lidocaine. I'm like, it's in my throat, doctor. No, I understand. <laughs> he goes, we're not going to stick a giant needle in your tonsil. Like, that's not going to happen. I'm like, got it. He goes, we're going to put it in your thigh. I'm like, oh, okay. He goes, or in the buttocks. I'm like, I'll take the thigh. That's okay, doc. He's like, bam, giant lidocaine shot. And then the presnadone or whatever the hell it's called, steroids, amoxicillin. I'm like, great. I go, I want enough drugs that I, like, I haven't slept in a week. I'd like, I like enough drugs that I can sleep for 24 hours, but I have to watch the Eagles game at 440 local because it's mountain time. And he goes, all right, you should be okay. I go out of there and now, and then after he gave me the shot, he goes, you have to sit for 10 minutes. Make sure you're okay with the shot. He comes back to him and says, he goes, how are you? I go, I can't move my leg. Like this, this is like, it's going to feel like you got stabbed. I go, correct. Like, I don't, how do you expect me to get out of here? And he goes, just gingerly. I want you to picture the scene. Now it's heavily, this is day two of Sunday. It's heavily snowing. A limping Adnan Burke with a throat on fire. And he goes, where are you? I go, I've got to go to the pharmacy. And he goes, are you driving? And I said, no, I'm from Connecticut. And I have to limp to the pharmacy to get the medication. I get the medication. Now I'm limping back. I still am determined to see this movie. The catcher who was a spy, which is playing at four o'clock. It's 345. Even though word of the mouth is it's not good. Everybody that saw the screen the right before goes, uh, it's not good. And Rudd's not good. And it's miscast. And it's bad. I go, Giamatti, they go, he's in it like 10 minutes. It's a small role. And I'm like, no, I've got to see it. Rob Savinelli paid for my Southwest ticket. I've got to go see this one baseball movie. This will vindicate my entire trip. I can tell my bosses, yes, I saw the one sports movie there. So I'm limping there. People are looking, what is wrong with this guy? 
I go on the wrong bus to go to the wrong bus. I'm like, oh, my God. I don't even know where I am. Eventually, I go back. The guy can tell that I'm defeated. And this is the heart of the story, which Dan will appreciate. The man looks at me, and I said, I just need to get home. And he goes, okay. And I said, I, I went to the wrong theater. My, my, my throat's killing me. I can barely talk. I can't walk because I have a shot in my leg. And he goes, yeah. And I'm pointing my phone. I go, this is where I'm staying, these condos. And he goes, yeah. He goes, no problem. We have a lift right here. And I just stared at him. I goes, on your phone, you have a lift app. And I, and he, and I, I couldn't say anything. And he just goes, you have, are you more of an Uber fan? I'm like, and he goes, okay, you, I, 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 I don't, I don't have a lift. He's like, no, no, we have a lift for you. You just have, and your phone. He goes, sir, I can take your phone and get your lift app. I go, no, I don't. It's okay. <laughs> I have to now limp back to the hotel, the main headquarters, and I'm literally about to fall on the floor and I ask the guy, I go, can you just call me a cab? And he's like, why, can you call me a yellow cab? He goes, we have a lift outside. I go, no, no, I don't want to hear about the lift. I need a yellow cab to take me here. Please. <laughs> Eventually, there's no yellow cabs coming because everybody was coming out of the theater, which I think was a Nick Cage movie, which was Mandy, which I really wanted to see. And eventually, the, the, you don't even have a hotel driver. That guy's the guy who took me. He goes, the cash company goes, I'll just take you, sir. I go, thank you so much. He goes, I beg your pardon. I go, I can't talk. And I gave the guy 20 bucks to get me back. And lines at one How point. How far in, was it? Um, cause, mm, 10 minute drive. Because, okay. because when I felt okay Sunday night, I walked it. And where we were in the condo to the main street was 12 minutes. And to that headquarters, another 10 to 15 minutes. So yeah, 20, 20 minutes and 10 minute drive. Did you ever see the baseball movie? <laughs> no. <laughs> I went to the wrong bus stop and then I was, and then I got back. And I don't know if Lyons really appreciated how much pain I was in. Cause I'm a pretty good actor. So when I'm around people, I'm kind of like smiling. Blah, blah, blah. But like once I got in the room, I'm like, give me that bottom bunk button. I'm done. So he's like, yeah, we're going to go to dinner. I'm like, oh, no dinner. Like I just show him the, the doctor report. Like I have a peritonsillar abscess. Like I'm barely functioning. Okay. No problem. Do what you got to do. 9am. We'll see another movie. No, no, we're not. No, no. I'm going to watch the Eagles game and I'm going home. I'd like to go home now. If I get a flight right now to get the hell out of Sundance, I take it. So at this point, it's now <laughs> Tuesday. Yeah. Have you downloaded Uber? Because <laughs> no, now I said the story's too good. Now Dan's gonna just the rest of his life's gonna go. I I have the stupidest guy that I know. He had a peritonsillar abscess and he didn't have a lift up. <laughs> good news is I I I don't know if I've ever been more pain that night. I'm in the bottom bunk bed, and because the meds, because I go and he goes, well, you can't take any more Advil. I go, no, no, I've, I've been taking like forty Advil the last week. He's like, no, you can't. Now this other stuff has to kick in. So that was misery. By Sunday morning, still went some movie. Me and Ben saw one of the worst movies I've ever seen. That review coming next week. So think about that. Heavily medicated. You just want to go home, see your wife and kids, get the hell out of here. It's freaking 24 and snowing. And then I got to see one of the worst movies. There Army Hammer's in it. Lakeith Stanfield. It's awful. It's never going to get distributed. No one's ever going to see it. Trust me. But then the Eagles win. And by the way, you think with some football, I understand I'm in the land of Sundance, which is vegan free or vegan, pro vegan, excuse me, gluten free. Granola eating, latte sipping. Can we get some pizza and wings? Just to watch some football. Lines is in there cutting asparagus, salad. I said, come on, man. It's football. The Eagles just killed the Vikings. Let's go. But then uh, it was fine. I couldn't eat anything anyways. I had like a chicken wiener and that was about it. So that was my adventure from Sundance. Uh, next week, like I said, Ben and I will review all the movies we saw. I think I saw in total eight movies in three days. You can do an easy three. You know, 9 a.m. is easy, and then noon, and then 3, and then after that, you take a break, go and have some dinner. 
And then you can you can squeeze in a fourth. You can see a 9 p.m. show, or you can go out and do whatever you want to do. So anybody who's never been to Sundance, go. If you're not ill like I was, it's a lot more fun. And then the uh, the interviews. So here's the good news. I got Nick Cage. I got Paul Rudd. I got Ethan Hawke, who was fabulous. You got to, you got to hear Ethan Hawke when I asked him about the Phenom baseball movie a couple of years ago. Talks about the Knicks. And how about what Lions got? Lions got like every musician there. He's got John Legend on the Eagles in the Super Bowl. He's got Will I Am from the Black Eyed Peas. He's got Imagine Dragons, who've got an excellent documentary. So we've got a, plenty of great stuff coming to Cinephile. This is, of course, the Oscar nomination special. Quick thoughts. Nominations 13 for The Shape of Water. 10th film that 13 or more. Awesome. My number two movie of the year. So that's good news. Best actor leading role. Okay. Glaring omission, Rick Passmore, friend of the podcast. For those who don't know, he is a social director. He's also a filmmaker. He needs to go to Sundance one day because he's going to love it with his buddies. Passmore, I'm giving you the floor here. We, we knew there was a chance of this. Franco was not going to get nominated because of this report from the New York Post. But seriously, if you're going to omit Franco because of alleged indiscretions, even though I think we should try to separate art from the human, I know it's tough with each person, but I understand. It's a great movie and it's a funny movie. Could we, could we have done better than Denzel for Roman J. Israel getting out of Franco? Come yes, on. Yes, we could. Yes, we could have. And it should have been Hugh Jackman for Logan. It absolutely should have been. That was his best performance. He was great in uh, The Greatest Showman. I saw that a couple weeks ago. Fantastic. And, and he was up for the uh, Golden Globe for musical comedy for best actor in there. However, Logan was his best performance of his career. And it should have been that uh, nomination instead of Denzel. If you're going to omit James Franco, which I, I get, it's the, it's, you know, 2017, 2018, it's what the, it's what it is now. But if you're going to omit him, omit him for something that's worthy. Don't just throw a bone to Denzel because it's Denzel. But this hurts you that Franco did not get nominated. You love the disaster. It bums me out, but I get it. This becomes very interesting, Dan, and I want your take on this. How do we start to separate artist from film? I have here some screeners for you guys, and I was going to watch Wonder Wheel, which is Woody Allen's new movie, but it's supposed to be terrible. And with all these allegations now, but Woody Allen, and I feel like I'm as much of a hypocrite as anybody else, now all of a sudden we say, well, we can't support Woody Allen, even though everyone knew about this stuff for years. So it was okay when I watched Midnight in Paris because I loved it, and I like Hemingway, and it's funny, it's whimsical. But now I can get on my high horse and say, no, no, I'm not going to watch Wonder Wheel. The movie sucks. It's made by that villain, Woody Allen. So how do you start separate each movie? Can we start to say... Um, Ethan Hawke, who I love, who was wonderful when I met him. But then I mentioned it to my cousin. She goes, oh, well, he cheated on his wife with a nanny. And, da, da, da. and I go, okay, like, I don't have to look at these guys as heroes. But if he has a personal failing, I suppose. But now, can I never watch Chinatown again because Roman Polanski's a horrible person? No, I think we're kind of in the middle of the storm right now, still. And it's for mainly the right reasons. I think it's going to come with time when you can start to accept these artists for the art, as you said, and separate them from the men. We saw a lot of it with Casey Affleck last year, and he still won Best Actor. I, I don't think he would win this year if he was up for the award, as we saw with Franco not even getting nominated. I think it's going to be a time situation. I think you're going to have to wait. I think Hollywood's in this, still in the middle of this huge upheaval, and, it, and it's going to be a long time before you, you can just say that's a bad person, but I appreciate their art. You loved Manchester by the Sea, as did I. I did. If Casey Affleck had not win Best Actor because of sexual harassment allegations against him, would you have been upset? It, it would have bothered me that the wrong person won the award, but it w I mean, I would have slept fine at night. It's probably the best way to put it. You get annoyed a little bit, but it doesn't really affect my life. Like, all right, fine. Here's the curious part, though. Best Actors usually give out the Best Actress Award the next year. With all that's going on, will Casey Affleck be omitted from the award ceremony where they just give it to 
another actress. That's or a great Who point. will present the best actress <laughs> award? Well, how about Aziz and Sorry? He didn't even show up to the SAGs. Like, I'm not going with all this stuff going on now. When they said his name, no applause. I watched it last night. I caught up. Franco was there, the Screen Actors Guild Award, and he got decent applause. It wasn't like he got booed. But I think you're right. I think Affleck goes, I'm ducking this. I'm not going. Uh, best director, as I'd mentioned in the previous podcast, uh, Spielberg omitted, which is a bit of a surprise, although The Post is not one of his strongest films. And thankfully, Luca Guadagnino did not get nominated for Call Me By Your Name. Yeah, if you want the one that I'm most annoyed by, Call Me By Your Name, four Oscar nominations. But I'm thrilled to see Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, baby. He's in. Uh, that's a real stunner. I don't know what the latest odds were on, on Gold Derby. I kept championing him and championing that film. I'm so ecstatic that he's in there. Greta Gerwig and Jordan Peele, first time nominated, first time directing, and all have never won a directing Oscar. So finally, Christopher Nolan is up for Best Director, and Guillermo del Toro right now is the favorite for Best Director. So one of these five, and all these five people are so talented. I, of course, I'm cheering for P.T. Anderson. I love Christopher Nolan. I love Guillermo del Toro. But Peele and Gerwig, the first time nominated, first time directing, congrats to them. Supporting role is fascinating. I thought all along it was Laurie Metcalf in the bag, and now it's Allison Janney, who when I first saw I, Tanya, I said she's going to win an Oscar. That's how scene-stealing she is. Then I saw Lady Bird, and I said, Metcalf's got this in the bag. And now Janney's going to win. She's won everything. She won the SAG, won the Critics' Choice. She gives great speeches. She's a great actress. She's funny as hell. She's awesome. She's going to win I, Tanya. And supporting actor, we love Defoe because he was so kind to us on, on Cinephile. He looks like it's dead in the water. It looks like it's going to be Rockwell. He's swaggering everywhere, and, of course, he is nominated as well. The real surprise here in supporting actors, Woody Harrelson's in. That That's a genuine surprise. Um, the two guys from Call Me By Your Name, I thought Amory Hammer, as much as I didn't care for the movie, I thought he would get nominated, or Sh- Michael Stuhlbarg, who gives a great monologue at the end. He's his dad accepting his son's sexuality. It's a really good speech at the end. And um, he's also obviously in Shape of Water. And is a really good actress. I thought he would get nominated, but he didn't. So Rockwell, Defoe, Jenkins, who I love. Yes, friend of Cinephile. Plumber, Dan just saw All the Money in the World. What'd you think? I think your review is pretty spot on. When he's on camera, it's great. He's the central figure. Your eyes go to him. When he's not there, you're kind of, eh, all right, Wahlberg. All right, Michelle Williams. Okay, right. all right. Kidnapping story, great. But when Plumber's there, and he's another, as we know, result of the whole Me Too movement, they reshot the scenes with him. It was Spacey. Now it's Plummer, and Plummer ends up getting nominated. That's kind of crazy. Let me volley the compliment back to you. Woody Harrelson, your guy, he gets nominated. I tried telling you, and, <laughs> and that's the thing. We, we work in the realm of sports. Yeah. When Normally when two teammates are nominated for the same award, we assume that the vote's going to get split a little. Yeah. Is that the case with Rockwell and Harrison? Or Harrelson, excuse me. Um, I don't think so. I think everyone says, listen, let's get Woody a seat at the table, but Rockwell's the guy that's got to win because he's just, man, he's just blazing in that movie. You're right? When you watch, the, I watched Crick's Choice, like I said, I watched the Sags again last night. When you see the clips again, like Rockwell, just unbelievable, that movie. Uh, animated feature, of course, I see all these kids' movies. I can't wait to see Coco. I Sorry, I saw Coco. I can't wait to see it to win. I want to see Loving Vincent. The breadwinner, Keith Law, tells me is excellent. How the hell, Ferdinand and Boss Baby. Shout out to Adine Burke, who's six, who really liked Ferdinand. I am not a fighting bull. But it's not a great film. I only gave it two Maple Leafs. And Boss Baby, again, Yusuf and Adine like it, but it's not very good. Lego Batman, they much prefer. My own children much prefer it, and I much prefer it. we got to get Will Arnett on the phone. He must be furious right now. Lego Batman was awesome. Boss Baby and Ferdinand ahead of Lego Batman movie. That's the biggest story of the day. Forget about Franco. That's nuts. Um, original screenplay is always one of my favorite categories, and this is loaded. So you got Get Out, Jordan Peele, Lady Bird, Greta Gerwig, Three Billboards, McDonough, Shape of Water, and Big Sick. Yes! I wasn't sure if Big Sick was going to get in, so it got in. So that's great news. Uh, Summer Slaper, Kamel Nanjiani, and Emily V. Gordon. I wish it got more. I wish it had gotten a Best Picture, but that's awesome. So happy for Kamel that he gets in for original. And you heard Ricky mention earlier 
Uh, Logan, well, here's the good news. It is up for adapted screenplay. You want the bad news first? James Ivory's going to win for Call Me By Your Name. That movie's going to win an Oscar. Uh, the good news is Logan is nominated. Scott Frank, James Mangold, and Michael Green, and The Disaster Artist is nominated. Notably, Franco was not a part of the script. He stars and he directed it, did not write the uh, adaptation. And Molly's Game, Aaron Sorkin, which uh, Dan has pointed out, he's a Sorkin fan, did not think it was a very good movie. Uh, but, you know, with, with, with Sorkin, you know, he's going to get nominated. Foreign films, I haven't seen them all yet. Loveless is a Russian movie I really want to see. Fantastic Woman's about a transgender woman from Chile. I think it's going to win. And The Square, which I wasn't crazy about, my friend Bond saw it. Let's try some more. Cinematography is interesting. Mudbound, first woman cinematographer nominated, Rachel Morrison. Uh, please, God, can Roger Deakins win for Blade Runner 2049? Really happy for Hoyt Van Hoytema for Dunkirk. Of course, Shape of Water, Dan Lawson, and Darkest Hour, which I've kind of turned on. I, I can't believe I gave that three Maple Leafs because I couldn't sit through it again. As good as Oldman is, as much as he's going to win that Oscar, that should be like a two Maple Leaf movie. It's, it's pretty dry. Uh, production design, I'm happy to see Shape of Water nominated. Original score, it might be my favorite category. Shape of Water, Alexander Desplat, probably going to win. Although Dunkirk, Hans Zimmer is in 70% of the movie, which is a record. And God, I love Johnny Greenwood's score for Phantom Thread. I'm going to go see it again for the second time tomorrow. And the music in that movie, God, I'm hoping for a three-way tie there. I really am. Costume design is going to win Phantom Thread, which is great. Makeup and hairstyling, no Shape of Water. You got a fish man in the movie, and you got Wonder... Darkest Hour and Victoria and Abdul. Judy Dench coming out of nowhere. That's a stunner. How the hell does Shape of Water not get nominated for makeup and hair? They got 13 nominations. They can't get makeup and hairstyling. Brutal. And best animated short film for all the sports fans still listening. Dear Basketball, Kobe Bryant produced. Uh, he right now is running second as champs of actually winning it. So we'll see if he actually wins. Documentary short subject, um, Ben Lines will be seeing all those a little bit later on. So those are the reactions to the Oscar nominations. Mark Simon coming up a little bit later on. He's a big fan of the podcast and a good friend here at Cinephile. But Christy Lemire is awesome. She is a film critic, and she's all over the Oscar nominations like me. Here she is now. I can't believe it. That Philip brought his little brother on our mission into orbit? How long until we get there? How long until we get there? How long until we get there? No, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with GEICO. What's this button do? What's this button do? What's this button do? What's this button do? No, 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 don't touch no. that. Believe it, GEICO could save you 15% or more on car insurance. A real pleasure to bring in to talk about all this Oscar nomination recap is Christy Lemire, the film critic and co-host of What the Flick, RogerEbert.com. And according to her Twitter bio, by the way, follow her on Twitter, C-H-R-I-S-T-Y-L-E-M-I-R-E, a 1986 Wheel of Fortune Teen Week champion. Are we going to start there, Christy? Tell me about that. That is the real news of the day here. Yeah. No, when I was 13 years old, I won the whole week of Teen Week, and I won a car and a trip to Tahiti and $5,000 in savings bonds and a ceramic Dalmatian. This is back when you could still <laughs> buy merchandise. So it was, it was, I was a prodigy, clearly. Oh, you're unbelievable. The reason that we've uh, stumbled <laughs> upon each other is uh, our mutual friend, Howard Bryant. So people like you and me, of course, were such uh, nerds. We're seeing these movies uh, at festivals and as soon as we can. So for the likes of Three Billboards, we saw them in November and then Shape of Water early December. Howard apparently had a few minutes over uh, Christmas weekend. He started seeing everything and then started tweeting you and me uh, how excited he was it. to see all these movies. So I feel like now at least he's up to date. And of course, we're all up to date with these Oscar nominations. So 
Here we yeah. go. I am overjoyed. Here's my biggest reaction that I'm thrilled by because, listen, I loved, just so you know, my favorites are, um, you know, of course, Three Billboards and, and uh, Shape of Water and Dunkirk and Lady Bird and all the rest of it. But I love Phantom Thread. I had it as my number five of the top ten because I loved all the homages to 1950s Hitchcock. And Daniel Day-Lewis is one of my favorite actors. And Paul Thomas Anderson is one of my favorite writer-directors. And all the stuff I had been looking at, Christie said, well, they'll get a costume design nomination and Day-Lewis and that's it. So I was over the moon when I saw Best Picture and Best Director and Leslie Manville, who's so great as his sister in the movie. Did you like this movie as much as me or do you think I'm crazy? I liked it more than you, actually. Yes. I had it number two on my top ten list. It's a very close number two for me. I'm totally in love with it, and it's gorgeous, and it's swoony, and you think it's one kind of movie for a long time, and then slowly but surely it sneaks up on you, and it becomes nutty, and that is when it's a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. So, yeah, I'm really tickled, too. Like you, I figured it would get costume, and it would get Daniel Day-Lewis, but to see it in Best Picture and Best Director is amazing. Leslie Manville is so subtle, and she just, like, kills it. So I'm really thrilled that that kind of very subtle acting got um, got nominated here. And Johnny Greenwood's score oh. is amazing. I, I'm, I'm at the L.A. Film Critics Association, and that was our pick for Best Music. Oh, and I, I actually it. got to present the award for Best Music to... Johnny Greenwood, who, of course, was not there because he's the guitarist for Radiohead. So why <laughs> bother coming? He's a busy guy, you know. But, um, yeah, I, I'm thrilled oh. it did so well also. Um, but, of course, the big news of the day is that we now have Academy Award nominee Kobe Bryant. <laughs> That's right. For all the sports you know fans. That? Yeah, tell, yeah, look, tell for our audience here. You're right. All the sports fans. Kobe, I've got it right now on Gold Derby. He's runner up right now. But yes, he's nominated <laughs> for an Oscar, which is crazy. Kobe could win an Oscar. Yeah. So you kiss anybody. Go on Google and Google Dear Basketball. And that is the animated short that he wrote and that he narrates. And basically, it's the letter that he wrote to the Players Tribune announcing his retirement. And he turned that into a movie with his longtime animator, um, Glenn Keane, who has worked on many, many animated films, Beauty and the Beast and Tangled. And it looks like a, like a pen, pencil, a charcoal pencil sketch of him from his childhood through his greatness with like splashes of purple and gold. And it's really beautiful and it's short and it's kind of like Kobe's Ode to Kobe. But it's a cool little movie. And, you know, now you have Academy Award nominees for all of eternity, Kobe Bryant. (laughs) As if you need any more accolades, right? You can add that to the list. Just a thought, by the way, uh, back to Phantom Thread on the score. That Mr. Mr. Woodcock's theme, that is the most evocative song I've heard in so many years. I play it when I go to bed, and I'm so conflicted because I love Alexander Desplat's score, The the Shape of Water. I literally, I don't think I imagined the last time I was so torn up over who should win Best Original Score. And by the way, Hans Zimmer might win for Dunkirk. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really thrilled about Dunkirk doing so well. I didn't think it would. I, I figured it would do well in all those technical categories like sound design and editing, and it's so well-deserved there. But this is amazing to think that this is Christopher Nolan's first Oscar nomination for Best Director. Mm-hmm. It's crazy to think that, given the really important, really influential films he's made over the years. So, yeah, so Dunkirk gets um, seven nominations, including Best Director and Best Picture. Nolan did no campaigning. It's not like he's out there doing Q&As and making himself, you know, accessible. So I was kind of surprised by that. But, yeah, you mentioned Shape of Water. That's the big story of the day. 13 nominations, it tops everything. It looks very dominant going into Oscar night. 
It's um, <laughs> it's weird and wonderful, and I think for people like you and me who love old movies, and it's it's so much romanticism, and yet it's such a Del Toro film, which means that, as I said on my pod earlier, I love the line from Michael Shane that says, "Oh, I know you. You're the one who found my fingers." Like it's a gory, <laughs> it's a gory, disturbing, violent movie, yet it's wonderfully romantic, and it's so sweet and charming, and the performances are pitch perfect, and I just I, I worry that it's too strange and eccentric to win Best Picture, but Tell me I'm wrong, Christy. Tell me this can win Best Picture. It's a tricky balancing act that Del Toro pulls off here because you're right. It is like through and through a Del Toro movie in that it is this very dark kind of twisted fairy tale. It's romantic, but it's frightening. And I, I think the fact that, as you say, it is such an homage to classic cinema in so many ways. You know, there, there's an entire song and dance sequence in the middle of it. You know, the, the creature, in it, the creature, and it looks like a really high tech version of Creature from the Black Lagoon. And there's incredible acting throughout. And uh, Sally Hawkins got nominated as did Octavia Spencer. And uh, and so I, I can imagine that it, it kind of hits all those buttons for people who really, really love film. And yeah, it's strange. And yeah, there's fish sex. But overwhelmingly, it is just a romantic, swoony movie. And it's, again, Del Toro's first Best Director nomination, too. If we're looking at Best Director, if I can go to that real fast, of the five nominees, four are first-time nominees, right? So you have Christopher Nolan for Dunkirk, Jordan Peele for Get Out, which is amazing. That had a great day. Greta Mm -hmm. Gerwig for Lady Bird, which had a great day. And then Paul Thomas Anderson was nominated once before for There Will Be Blood, his previous Daniel Day-Lewis collaboration, and then Del Toro. So it's an exciting, really diverse field of, of Best Director nominees. That's a great point, because even I always feel Paul Thomas Anderson should be nominated five times for all of his films, and it's only a second nomination, and you're right, he's the veteran in this category. We're talking with the great Christy Lemire right now in Cinephile. Let's get to Lady Bird. So I had it number four. I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. Uh, my producer, Dan, thinks it's the best picture of the year. I think it's going to win Best Picture only for this reason, Christy. People either love it or they like it a lot. Nobody dislikes it. And I think if you tabulate all the votes, it'll win for that reason. Whereas Three Billboards, which I personally preferred, is a little polarizing. And I think there's going to be an undercurrent of, hang on a second, Rockwell's wonderful and he might win an Oscar, but we can't reward a film in which one of the heroes ostensibly is the guy who beats up black people. So I I don't know. Do you think that's enough of a deterrent to knock out Three Billboards? Because I think Lady Bird right now has a slight edge for Best Picture. I do not think Three Billboards will win Best Picture. I I would think that The Shape of Water has a better chance at Best Picture, certainly, and Lady Bird does. And, uh, but Three Billboards, the thing with that character that people have a problem with, and I, I certainly understand that, but his character evolves, right? Yes. The, the ignorant racist cop evolves. He gets woke, to use the vernacular, <laughs> and, he, and, and he and Francis McDormand both have these really rigid ideas about the way that the world should work. And they evolve in this really violent, really intense kind of crucible in this small town. And so I in no way think this film condones racism. Quite the opposite. It's about being awakened and enlightened. And so I can imagine him and Francis McDormand both winning, but I don't think Three Billboards can win Best Picture. I feel bad for Willem Dafoe. I love him. We had him on the podcast. He's such a generous actor, wonderful actor. Now I don't think he's going to win because Rockwell is just like a, seems like a force of nature. And, and I love him in the movie and he's great with the speeches and everything. But I hope, I, I am glad that maybe people will see the Florida Project. At least Willem gets nominated, right? Sometimes in these movies, the nomination is the victory, right? 
it, it didn't get very much. Um, I'll tell you what I love, which I know you don't love. Call Me By Your Name? Call Me By Your yeah. Name. Oh. It's my favorite movie the whole year. I know you think it's boring and slow. Um, I'm, I'm thrilled that Timothy Chalamet got nominated. I'm really, really bummed. If we're talking about snubs that we're bummed about, I'm really bummed about Army Hammer. Yeah. Because Timothy Chalamet is great, but he isn't that great without Army Hammer to play off of, right? He's, it's, I, I know he was being considered as a supporting actor nominee, but those are really two co-leads, in my opinion, in terms of the significance they each have on the narrative and on each other's characters. Along those lines, Michael Stuhlbarg, again, snug. He gives like, the monologue of the film that wraps it all up so poignantly, and uh, he did not get nominated again. So, I, I, yeah. you know, I have a lot of coming by your name. And you're right. I just thought it was just, listen, it's it's uh, certainly restrained, which is another way of saying I was falling <laughs> asleep. It's just two guys say, let's go swimming. Let's go biking. And I get the fact that there's this longing and on some level it's tender. But I just, God, it reminded me of what David Mamet once said about French films. He said, you know, most movies supposed to have a beginning, a middle and an end. And French films don't. And that's why they're so effing boring. And everyone said to me, <laughs> they said, Call Me By Your Name is like an Eric Romare film. And I said, well, I don't like his movies either. So maybe this makes sense that it's not for me. But I, I am with you on this. That Stuhlberg monologue, I, I thought he was fine, but that monologue is outstanding. And I said, well, that's the kind of scene that you get nominated for an Oscar on, that scene alone. Yep. And I loved him in Shape of Water. And of course, he's in The Post, too. And he's such a good actor. So I wouldn't have minded Stuhlberg. Yeah, I wouldn't have minded Stuhlberg being nominated as well. All right, big omission. And I really like The Disaster Artist. I had it as an honorable mention. I think it's so funny, but as soon as, um, of course, the, the allegations came in against James Franco, five women accusing him of sexual harassment, I knew he was going to be in trouble. Scott Feinberg, our friend from The Hollywood Reporter, had thought that enough of the votes would be tabulated before that story came out, and maybe people could separate whatever behavior Franco had engaged in uh, with what is a really funny movie, and particularly for Hollywood people, lampooning the industry and such. But it was not the case, Christy. Denzel gets in, and I think even the most passionate uh, Roman J. Israel fan would say this is not his best work, this is not his best film, and they had to get somebody in there instead of Franco. Now, I would have argued maybe get Tom Hanks in, who hasn't been nominated for 17 years, but what's your reaction to the Franco snub? Yeah, I also thought, like Scott Feinberg, that enough people would have voted prior to those allegations coming out, but perhaps... You know, it had been swirling around for so long that there was enough of a of a pall, you know, that people thought, ugh, I don't want to touch this. And Franco was great in The Disaster Artist. And, you know, as he showed with when he became a star playing James Dean, he can really, really immerse himself in a role physically. And he does the Tommy Wiseau voice. And, yes, it's a movie about movies. Um, the screenplay got nominated. Scott Neustadter and Michael H. Weber got nominated for their screenplay for Disaster Artist. But, um, yeah, I... I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is just that enough of the rumor was swirling around for long enough that people didn't want to touch it. I agree with you that that Denzel performance in Roman J. Israel is super mannered and super actorly and uh, kind of like cringe-inducing in, in the scenery chewing that's going on there. And yeah, Tom Hanks would have been a, a great choice. You know, he plays Ben Bradley very differently than um, Jason Robards did in All the President's Men. So the post didn't get very much. You're absolutely right. The Post did not nearly get as much love as you would have thought, especially with the Spielberg omission. All right. We are so passionate about these movies, and people make fun of us all the time, but we understand we're on the same wavelength. So what made you uh, giddy with glee today when you saw the nominations, and what made you so despondent? What made me giddy? I'm really thrilled that Greta Gurwe got nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay for Lady Bird. She is a really exciting voice. I'm also happy that my hero 
Roger Deakins, the great yes. cinematographer, was nominated for Blade Runner he, 2049. Can he please it, finally win, Christy? Please. I, God, I hope so. It's his 14th nomination. The man's a genius, and I suspect that probably Dan Lawson will win for Shape of Water, and my hero, Roger, will lose again. So that is what I was really happy about. Also, it's bizarre that Boss Baby keeps getting nominated for things. How is that possible? Like, <laughs> Captain, Captain Underpants is a better animated movie well, than the Boss Baby. It's my, just strange. My boys would agree with you on that, Boss. Although Coco's going to win, right? Although I hear Loving of Vincent. Course. Yeah, Loving Vincent, there are some lovers of that movie. But uh, last one, listen, now that I know how much you love Phantom Thread, Daniel Day-Lewis' asparagus scene, one of the funniest scenes of the year. Tell people how funny it is. It's just withering. You know, the asparagus scene, the many mushroom scenes. Like, I can't cook mushrooms now without thinking about that movie. So uh, it definitely has seeped into the culture in many ways. Oh, the eggs and the mushrooms. Like, it's just, you know, P.T. Anderson, and good for him because obviously I love DDL, but Day-Lewis does zero pubs. So Paul Thomas Anderson was out there last week, as you saw, on Twitter, uh, on talk shows. He was on Kimmel. And somebody said to him, when are you going to make another comedy? Because people love Boogie Nights. He goes, uh, I just did. Like, don't, don't think Phantom Fred's some boring <laughs> costume. It's a funny, devilishly funny movie, and uh, I love that you love it as much as me. Christy Lemire, she's the co-host of What the Flick at T-Y-T-W-T-F, RogerEbert.com, of course, the film critic. I'm going to be in L.A. for the Oscars. I hope we get to meet in person. Thank you so much for your generosity and coming on Cinephile today. You're awesome. Thank you. Me too. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Adam. Well, it's an emotional day here on Cinephile because Mark Simon has been one of our most avid supporters. He is a terrific guy and a terrific friend. He is leaving ESPN to go on to uh, maybe not greener pastures. I don't want to dismiss what we do here, but he's going to do a phenomenal job with regards to analytics. If there's one thing he loves as much as baseball, it is documentaries, and that's why we have him today on Cinephile. Mark, thanks so much for the time today. Good. Uh, hi. I, I wanted to ask if I could have a title upon my departure. Sure. I would like to be known as the chief publicity officer because <laughs> of the retweeting and the frequent, uh, I guess, publicity that I, I enjoy giving. Documentaries are, are your love of yours, which I appreciate so much because I don't think enough people focus on docs. Is there one from this year? Before I get your list of your all-time favorites, is there one or two from this year you want to discuss, Mark? So if bugged me when I saw the Oscar nomination because there were five that were nominated and I'd seen none. And I have to make up for that. Uh, so <laughs> the thing with my tastes in documentaries, I kind of like, like I have an Oscar winner on, on this list that we're going to go through, but I like kind of the secondary ones, the ones that you have to like dig through like 12 looks, uh, 12 shifts of the page on Netflix or Amazon. Uh, those are the ones that I tend to like the most. And I've missed, I'm sure you could rattle off 10 that you've seen that are fantastic that I've never even heard of. Uh, but I do like them a lot. I like storytelling, and there's no better storytelling than documentaries. You sent me a list of like 90 documentaries you'd seen. There's one that I've never seen, I've always wanted to see. Conan O'Brien Can't Stop. It came out a couple of years ago. Tell me about that one. I think it was after, it's the story of obviously how we lost the Tonight Show, but tell me, how good was it? Oh my God, it's funny. I have, so, I have a list of five that we're going to talk about. But that one was like my six seven. I, I almost put it on. Uh, it's it shows you how much passion an entertainer has for what they do and how addicting the laugh is. And I think you probably know this when you when you speak at a school or just uh, in general. When you get that laugh, it's like it's like nothing you've ever necessarily felt. And you see Conan struggle with the fact that he can't necessarily get that because he's off of TV for 
whatever period he had signed his life away for. Uh, and he goes on this tour, and the love that he experiences and the angst that he goes through trying to come up with material, it's really fascinating to see someone who performs at that level and the work they do behind the scenes to get to that level. That's awesome. I can't wait to see it. I'll add it to my list, which I've had for a while now. All right, best documentaries, capsule reviews from Mark Simon, the documentaries that you know and love from our chief publicity officer. The floor is yours. Go ahead. <laughs> so I figured I would limit this to since 2010 because there, there's, the field is so great, and there are so many that I haven't seen that people are going to say, oh, you're, uh, you're missing this one or that one. So we'll start number five. We're going to go with Undefeated, and a shout-out to former – ABC or ESPN or Ed Cunningham, an executive producer on this. This will be the one you've heard of since it won an Oscar. It's the story of the struggles of life and the struggling football team in inner city Memphis. It will hook you and make you feel like you are a part of them. It takes a lot for me to cry, but there's a moment at the end that gets me like few movies have. It is touching. It is poignant. It is every word that you could describe that would make you cry. It's undefeated. Cry, baby. Go ahead. <laughs> Queen of Versailles, completely different. If you like being outraged, the kind that makes you exclaim, what? Repeatedly for 100 minutes, check this one out. It's the story of Florida billionaire David Siegel, his trophy wife Jackie, their family, and the outrageousness of their fortune. You'll enjoy rooting against them as their life is turned upside down by financial crisis. Queen of Versailles. Number three, Finding Vivian Mare, the story of a nanny with a double life. She was also a street photographer who took more than 100,000 pictures, but her work was not publicized until after her death. Her story is unspooled as a fascinating mystery. You'll enjoy both the journey and the discovery. Finding Vivian Mayer. I tried to write these as almost as if they were being described at the Oscars. Uh, this, this is great, by the way, Mark. And keep emphasizing. <laughs> I like how you read the name of the movie at the end again. Keep doing it. That's great. <laughs> make, make, make believe. Remember Spellbound, the Oscar-nominated film that tracked participants in the National Spelling Bee? Make-believe is Spellbound, only with magic. And you will be spellbound by this story of six aspiring teenage magicians competing for a world championship in Las Vegas. The protagonists are likable and engaging and have great devotion to their craft. This is a movie where you'll be rooting for everyone. And lastly, we've talked about it before many times, my favorite documentary of, the last, uh, of this decade Obit. Storytelling is a passion for many, and the art of doing it well is of utmost importance to those who tell the story of life and death, the obituary writers at the New York Times. They learn tales of success and failure, and great joy and heartbreak. They enjoy their successes and lament their mistakes, and they understand the importance of both caring and sharing. They are the writers of Obit. Mark Simon, getting it done like nobody's business. Mark, uh, tell people where they can buy your Yankees book, Twitter handle, all that stuff. Go ahead. <laughs> empty empty the tank now with the pub. Let's go. All right. Let's see. You can buy my Yankees book, the Yankees Index, which came out uh, about a year and a half ago. Uh, you can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you name it. It's the history of the Yankees is told through statistics and stories. If you like the way that I wrote these capsule descriptions, you'll probably like the book. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Boy, I'm going to have to change it, Adnan. So I don't know that I can necessarily get that out. I'm hoping to get Mark Simon Says as my Twitter handle. So 
And Try there first. If not, just type Mark Simon in, and hopefully you'll find him. Mark Simon can tell you the final out of every World Series, I think, of the last 50 years, just for Dan Stanzik and me, Toronto Blue Jays. Give us 92 and 93, please. 93, everyone knows. <laughs> Give us 92, please. Play by well, play. 92 is Otis Nixon with the little bunt back to Mike Timlin, underhand flip to Joe Carter for the final out. The best. Dan, give me a year. Go ahead. Just for fun. We'll do a couple of these, because I'm telling you, we cannot stump Mark. Uh-oh. Give me any year you want. He can do it. From like final six, out, final out from nineteen sixty one. Last on. fifty years, last fifty years, he can do it. Any any year, go ahead. Eighty nine. Oh, nineteen eighty nine. That's the earthquake series. The series ends with a ground ball between first and second base. The flip to Dennis Eckersley, who's covering. He does this patented fist bump. That was Brett Butler grounding out. It's always you. That guy's unbelievable. One more. Seventy four. 74, that's three in a row for the Oakland A's. 72 was Pete Rose, 73 was Wayne Garrett. 74 was a ground ball back to Raleigh Fingers. He took it, kind of celebrated, danced a little bit through the first. The batter was Vaughn Joshua. <laughs> the best! Mark Simon cannot be beaten. You're the man, buddy. We're really going to miss you. Thanks for all the love for Cinefile, and thanks for being such a good friend. Thank you. All right, thanks, everybody, as always. Executive producer Dan Stanzik. To our um, filmmaker and social media consultant, Rick Passmore, for uh, publicity coordinator, Mark Simon. I'm Adnan Verk. I'm feeling better. I'll be better next time, I promise. Ben and I are going to break down all the movies we saw at Sundance. I'll give it away right now. The best one I saw was the Robin Williams doc. I don't know the best one was that Ben saw. And then after that, the interviews. Paul Rudd, Nick Cage, Ethan Hawke, Will I Am, John Legend, and Imagine Dragons. Coming soon to Cinephile. Until then, I'll see you at the movies. Don't miss out on the next episode of Cinephile. Subscribe to the Adnan Verk Movie Podcast by clicking the Listen tab in the ESPN app.